Hello, welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Fantastic Four, the film based on the Marvel Comics team of the same name. The film stars Ewan Grufford, Jessica Alba, Chris Evans, Michael Chiklis, Julian McMahon and Kerry Washington. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yeah, Fantastic Four, 2005, uh, riding off the Fox success of X-Men and the Sony success of Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Um, I remember all the talk because superhero movies were a genre again when this was all in production. You know, when they cast Do Storm, everyone's like, oh, of course you're going to cast the hottest woman on the planet right now. And then a bunch of comic guys went, yeah, she's hot, but she's Latin and she's tanned. And Sue Storm is like the widest woman on the planet. Um, but you know what? That died off fairly quickly because she's so hot. Yeah, but, she really is. They, they just went with it. Sure, Chris Evans, he's yeah. playing her brother. Yeah, they yeah they, like they're brothers and sister. They yeah, yeah. We just give her the the light colored contact lenses over her dark eyes, and no one will be the wiser. Yeah, we noticed. We don't care. She's hot. I was, I was, <laughs> I was reading as well a couple of things. One, you know the scene where she strips down to turn invisible yep. on the street. Believe it or not, that wasn't in the script until she was cast, and they quickly that wrote that scene. <laughs> There's and a lot of scenes of her suddenly stripping off. In this movie, she dyed her hair blonde. Yeah, Rise to the Silver Surfer years later when they did the sequel, I don't think she was willing to. She wore a wig. Or maybe she had another acting gig lined up. But it's her hair dyed blonde in this one, wig in the next one. Because this movie did get at least one sequel. Yeah. With this film, right? You've said it came out in 2005. It was one of three comic book movies that year. One of them was Electra, also yeah. a Fox movie, a follow-up yep. from the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. Yeah. Other film, and I think the other film did so much to put people off this movie, and I'm talking about Batman Begins. Yeah. The timing yeah, and- of that movie coming out ahead of this movie, I think would have put people off because... Until Batman Begins, what Chris Nolan did with that movie was so far removed. He took it in a different direction, made it more grounded. And, you know, Spider-Man, X-Men, Daredevil, even though this movie, it's more campy in tone, you've got a lot more primary colours, it's still kind of, it was in line with those other Marvel adaptions. Yeah. But Batman Begins happened, changed everything. And this movie, all of a sudden, just seemed so dated. Yeah, instantaneously. I mean, like you said, the year it came out. Um, and I'm going to be completely honest. I'm, I'm exceptionally familiar with Fantastic Four. Never been a fan of them in their own comic books. I've, only, I've always been a bigger fan of them as characters popping up in someone else's story. And that goes for all of the individual characters. Dr. Doom's a great villain for 
every person in the Marvel universe. He's also a really great protagonist. Um, you know, Johnny Storm's always been Peter Parker's like best superhero friend from like day dot. Um, you know, Reed Richards coming in to help Tony Stark or something like that. They all work so much better in other character storylines that like I ran out of my way to read a bunch of stuff for when this movie came out. And all I could think is I don't see this being a great team. It's missing all of the interesting stuff and dynamics from other successful superhero teams. Um, I'm talking X-Men. I'm talking Teen Titans. Wow. I mean, I do, I'm talking... I do see your point, but I'm, I'm thinking, wow, you're not going after the movie. You're going after the source material. That's bold. But yeah, I do see because, your point. I mean, yeah, because this is Marvel's first family. This is the yeah. comic book that launched the Marvel Universe as it exists. This was what... Like Stan Lee was going to quit comic book writing before this. Like the Marvel Universe, as we know it, didn't exist because he wanted to become a. He was sick of writing comic books because he was doing like romance stuff at the time because of the era in which it was in. And his wife convinced him before you quit, since you're going to quit anyway, nothing matters. Why don't you write the story you want to read? And he wrote the Fantastic Four and changed everything. But that's how like big and influential the Fantastic oh, it, Four it is. Was, it was massive. And just fully appreciating Stan Lee. Like, obviously, he's got credit like constantly. Like he gets credit for yeah. everybody. But it was basically like to at the time DC had Justice League and Marvel didn't have a superhero team. So I like the fact that I mean Stan Lee didn't come back with, hey Marvel, let's do the Avengers. Like this was his take on a superhero team. And it was a family. And just like how he wrote Peter Parker, this was full of characters who, who were flawed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the fact that, you know, he thought the, the, fam- the inter-family drama would be enough for people to keep coming back. And, you know, it wasn't too long before we got Silver Surfer and Galactus out of him as well. In fact, a lot of their major villains, and this was typical of Stan Lee's original run, with Jack Kirby and whatever other artists he was working with is all the major villains generally popped up in the first 15 issues. The same, like and Dr. Doom for fantastic four was like issue three or four. Wow. So pretty super early, like way, way, way at the beginning. Didn't didn't black Panther first appear in a fantastic four comic. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it did. In yeah. fact, technically, uh, by canon, and this was like why Kang the Conqueror is a bit weird in terms of his uh, rights until you know Disney bought everything, is Kang the Conqueror, as Kang the Conqueror, first appeared in an Avengers comic, which made him a Marvel property. But they retroactively made, uh, I think it was Immortus, or a, a version, one of his disguises, uh, like part of his past, that character first appeared in an early Fantastic Four comic, making Kang technically a Fox property. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's so much wrapped up in Fantastic Four. Um, not just their the lore they built, but the characters that they created. I mean, Silver Surfer is one of the biggest individual characters of Marvel as his own. But yeah, he was always been integral to the fantastic four same with galactus um yeah but having said that unless you've got 
a rider on like the the caliber of a Mark Wade or uh, Jonathan Hickman, they tend to be really hard characters to write because I mean they've been running since day dot for Marvel yeah. really. And when you point, think of actually, and and even if you look at the comics, it's like they've not been able to just stick with the core four. Yeah. So it was over the years, like Spider Man, Wolverine, like most of the MCU or most of the Marvel Comics characters have at one time been a member of the Fantastic Four. Like She Hulk, she was a member yeah. for a while. So yeah. I think there's something in that, what you're saying there, whereas even Marvel themselves over the years have had to shake up the status quo considerably. Yeah, and um, telling those stories, and part of that is why, uh, to wrap this whole thing up, they always seem to me from the get go like, oh, surely this is a TV series group that you use because it takes so long to build up and resolve that family drama before you roll into the next thing that you need longer form storytelling, and because of that, it's it's everyone must think the same way because the amount of rip off fantastic four families i've seen in other media it, if you're talking uh was it no ordinary family back in the day also um, the starving michael chiklis <laughs> the incredibles and like oh, countless other. i mean the incredibles though is even though it's not called fantastic four it is the best fantastic four movie to date to be fair yeah, yeah hands down <laughs> hands down so yeah, it, that's the thing. Going into this movie, even in the day, I remember thinking like, "Oof, you've got a lot to pull off." Um, but I remember enjoying it. I remember enjoying the sequel enough. Um, and on this rewatch, it's it's funny because suddenly the era that two, mid two thousands, it's like screaming out at me when I watch this film. I'm like, it does, "Wow, doesn't it? This is so two thousands." Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Again, came out the same year as Batman Begins. That doesn't that doesn't yeah. feel like a mid two thousands film. This yeah. film, though, it was the second live action four film to be filmed. A previous yep. attempt titled The Fantastic Four was a B movie produced by Roger Corman that ultimately went unreleased and apparently that was a whole rights thing yeah this is very famous (laughs) yeah i mean roger corman making the movie the cast they didn't know it was never intended to be released they thought wow we're making a comic book adaption here yet it was never intended to see the light of day yeah all he had was a million dollars to work off a million dollars at the time, which I think was mid nineties, 94 ish. If my memory serves, but yeah, when you watch, if you've ever watched it, it's very much exactly what you expect with a million dollar budget filmed in the nineties with a movie never meant to be released, but everyone in there, the director, all of the actors are giving 110% for a movie that Fox just made to retain the rights. And looking at this movie, so you're saying that Roger Corman one had a, had a budget of around a million. Yeah. He spent upwards of $100 million on this 2005 movie. It went on to earn $333.5 million at the box office. So it was a success. 
But to think that first attempt to go from a million to a hundred million, I mean, yeah. that is that is one huge leap. The release date for this movie here in Australia, it came out on July seventh, two thousand and five. The US release date was the next day, the eighth of July. For me, though, I watched it at the cinema in the UK. We didn't get it until July twenty second. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that this was one of those early movies where, you know, the way they work when they release cinemas, as I'm sure you're aware, is they try to aim it for kids' holidays. <clears throat> so in the US, July 4th weekend is a huge, huge weekend for movie releases. But here in Australia, uh, and this happens quite a, a lot recently, uh, last five years or so with movies, is... Our school holidays tend to be a week or, f- or two earlier than the US's, just the way our calendars line up. But this was one of those first ones we got early. Like, hey, we beat them. We didn't get it spoiled by uh, when we jumped online for once. I mean, you beat them by a day, but you're right. Yep. <laughs> we were <laughs> lagging in the UK. Yep. But this movie received mixed reviews was a commercial success and a sequel, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, was released in 2007. And then we got the reboot in 2015. I've still only seen that the once. I've seen it sitting there on Disney+. Plus. I might give it a rewatch. But for me, the reboot completely, I mean, tonally, it wasn't Fantastic Four. No, and really it's um, yeah, it's that was plagued with behind the scenes stuff as well. Unfortunately, I mean, uh, the whole breakup between the studio and the director of that one um, is well documented. Although, who where the blame lies is anyone's guess. Probably yeah. a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, but thankfully, this one, this one all falls together fairly decently. The thing that shocked me on the rewatch, not having seen it since probably around when the sequel came out, was from the movie starting, like credits rolling at the start, to them getting their origin, 14 minutes. They take no prisoners. There's no preamble. They jump straight into it. I mean, a a normal origin movie... Uh, these days, you're looking at a good 40 minutes to an hour yeah. before the actual origin part happens. And they know, did it in if you, 14 minutes. If you look at the runtime, though, this movie is an hour 40. That's it. Yeah. When they did Rise of the Silver Surfer, it comes in under 90 minutes. And yeah. just knowing that, like before watching, honestly, the, the sequel, seeing the trailers, it looked fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Doug Jones as the Silver Surfer, Lawrence Fishburne providing the voice. There's some good gags and visuals in that trailer. And then when I clocked the runtime ahead of seeing the movie, never a good sign, is it? A studio doesn't intend to put out a 90 minute summer blockbuster. And that's what they did at sequels. With this movie, the pacing and everything, they wanted to get them with the powers in the costumes. I didn't time it. So I didn't realize it was as quick as that 14 minutes. Yeah. That's no time at all. But then if they'd waited 
45 minutes, there's less than an hour left. If they waited an hour, you've got 40 minutes of them in costumes. I, I get it why they they did it as quick, as quick as they did. You know, I was talking about the mixed reviews, and on the back of that, I was curious. Like currently on Rotten Tomatoes, what percentage it's sitting at? 27%. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's sitting there pretty pretty low. The plot of the movie, we all know you've got four astronauts, they gain extraordinary powers, invisibility, stretchability, flight, fire, you know, human torch, super strength, or like the, the rock, whatever. You know, what, yeah. what's his power set? I mean it's super strong. Let's um super strong, like, indestructible, because there's like Dense, that rock-like orange rock formation. <laughs> yeah. And now they've got their biggest challenge. Victor Von Doom, who is an evil doctor, also got powers from the. He was also involved. They changed that for the movie than what we got in the source material. Yeah. The director of the movie, Tim Story. If you're unfamiliar with what he'd done up until this movie, he'd been with Fox. For a couple of years, he was the director of Barbershop in 2002, yep. which was an ensemble movie, Ice Cubes in there. Two years later, he did Barbershop 2, Back in Business. And then the following year, Fantastic Four. $100 million. <laughs> That's it. Two Barbershop movies. <laughs> and, and then he's directing a Fantastic Four movie. And the studio... Wanted more comedy, more humor. It's what they wanted from this movie. And again, it's like what they were doing in this movie tonally, it was it was really dating it because yeah. that same year. Batman begins. I'll say it again. And it, it changed things. But at the time though, Fox are like, we need more humor. They'd had Spider-Man, the not Spider-Man, the X-Men films. Yeah. Daredevil, super dark, gritty. And then we got Electra, whatever that was. And then, yeah. and then Fantastic Four. But yeah, they got the guy who directed a couple of barbershop movies. I know he's done things since. Like he did, um, what did he do? Ride Along, Ice Cube yep. again, this time with Kevin Hart. And he did that, re- the US remake of the Taxi franchise. He only made that movie, Queen Latifah and Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, Fallon. yeah. I've got nothing else. I'm sure he's done more things. That's that's all that he's coming to mind. But we, we've got to talk cast. I mean, it's the Fantastic Four. Let's let's talk. Ewan Crawford, Doctor Reed Richards, Alias. He's great. He's fantastic. It, he's um he's he, yeah. If you're wondering why he's got such a, if you look at his name, and you then you hear Ewan, uh, it's because he's Welsh, Welsh actor. Famous for a very big BBC series uh, based off a literary character with an even more ridiculous name than Mr. Fantastic. Is it Horatio Hornblower? I think was the name of the... <laughs> That's right. And the show is just called Hornblower. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah. But he is... He is Reed Richards. He does a great job. He's got... Uh, he's, there's a culture about him um, for the age he, when he was cast. He does seem more mature than that. Um, you know, he's he got he's got the look. Um, Alex Ross, the, uh, the a very very famous and a very talented 
comic book artist, always painted Reed Richards like the professor from Gilligan's Island. Ah, so when you're right. casting, because he always he, takes a yeah. real world inspiration. He's great. That, like great casting in this. He, you're right. Even though, because essentially, like we are looking at a young cast. I mean, Michael Chiklis is the one that looks older than everybody else. But essentially, got a young cast here. But having Ewan in this, he looks older beyond his years. So it's a really yeah. good fit for Mr. Fantastic. What I was reading, though, is like you say, he's Welsh. And it was really, you know, trying hard to perfect his American accent when making this movie. But what was proving difficult for him is that he'd turn up for set and then rewrote his dialogue. So he's having to quickly, like, because he's not just acting, like, he's also, he's doing the performance, but an accent as well. Yeah. So I think at times that was a bit of a, not necessarily a struggle, like he was up for the challenge, but that's something that... He was a stretch. He was, hey, <laughs> I would say, yes, I would say that. Uh, Jessica Alba, yeah, Susan Storm. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, thought, yeah. Where she's good. <laughs> she was to, given what she's given, this is as good a performance as you can expect from any actress, because instead of being Sue Storm as she is in the comics, the, the, the great compliment to Reed, who's not just not qu- not quite on the sharp end of intelligence, because Reed comes down to like almost that that forgets everything else, focus and loss in t- in times of whatever idea he's chasing, and she's got a more like uh, human sociable thing, and can pull him back from that. I'm like, no, 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 you, you're disappearing again. Come back out of your shell. Um. And but all equal, like almost equal in terms of pure intellect. Yeah, um, you know they don't. You don't get a lot of that. No, I mean, you don't. You like, yeah, that's, that's, a personal assistant, not a fellow scientist. Yeah. yeah, you're right. What the the Sue Storm you're talking about is the one from the comics, not so yeah. much what we're getting on screen here. Because for the most part, she's serving as one part of a love triangle. Like we're yeah. led to believe for the longest time, just like Reed, that she's actually in a relationship with Victor. Yeah. And that she left Reed for Victor. And that was always a bit jarring, like when watching the movie for the first time, that, okay, so that's what's happening, is it? Turns out that's not. She only just worked for him. Victor wanted more, but that's not what it was. But it seems yeah. like, yeah, that's the, that's the main reason for her character in this film, other than turning invisible and to tell Johnny to stop being immature. Yeah, That's pretty much Sue in this movie. Yeah, because she does have fairly good chemistry of like a brother sister thing with Chris Evans. Um, they don't use like, and she she's bringing it there, and she you know she is the the one who she's the diplomat. She she smooths all the edges from everyone having interpersonal problems. Yeah. Uh, despite what her own feelings on whatever the subject is, she's like stopping Johnny and Ben from killing each other. She's stopping. Uh, Johnny from just being Johnny. <laughs> She's stopping Reed from just like ignoring all this stuff because he's uh, he's a nerd and kind of like missing the obvious. But just, yeah, just hearing you say that though, that's she's her character as is Jessica Alba in this in different ways. She's just. I'm not going to say servicing because I'll come out right, but she's just benefiting other characters. Yeah, her her, her job sell. is to be there 
to serve other characters. She's yeah. not a fully realized one herself. Like you said, she's the she's the female object in a love triangle that doesn't leave a lot more. That that's about the angles they gave her. And oh yeah, also she turns invisible and has force fields. Like yeah, there you go. I that's mean, enough. You're the hottest woman on the planet. You just need to be that. Like just do that. In the <laughs> comics, like she's so powerful. Like way yeah. more than what we get in in this movie, but okay, we talked about Chris Evans a couple of times, or mentioned him at least. Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. I remember, like the first thing I ever saw him in was his first movie, not another teen movie, and then I've yeah. seen him in other films like The Perfect Score, and then we got him as Johnny Storm, and it's like, wow, what great casting! He is fantastic in this, and then years yeah. later, he got cast as. Captain America for the MCU. And you're like, really? The goofy guy that played Johnny Storm? I'm yeah. not sure if I can buy that. Wow. <laughs> How wrong was I? He's incredible <laughs> as Captain America. And I recently, in fact, last night, I rewatched Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Still yeah. phenomenal. Love that movie. And then today, as a refresher, I watched Fantastic Four again. And he could do both. Like, he can do yeah. both so well that like, you can buy him as the straight-laced Captain America. But then also, he just absolutely nails Johnny Storm to perfection. Yeah, because it turns out that uh, Chris Evans is kind of a goofball. Uh, And what I remember about this is the director, Tim Story, actually said, look, whenever you hear Johnny Storm talk, 90% of that is just Chris Evans ad-libbing, just doing it. All I needed him from time to time is he had to deliver a specific feeder line to someone else or voice some jargon that was like required for plot purposes. Literally everything else was Johnny Storm. I didn't go and find an actor. I cast Johnny Storm and then had told him every now and then I need to say this and this. Yeah, and, That's and how again, good Chris Evans is in this role. It's, it's one of the best things about this movie. But for, to go from this to Captain America... Which is he's even better. Like, that is acting. Like, I would, yeah, yeah it, I would it, never have yeah. thought that, like yourself, when they cast him as uh, Captain America, I'm like, Chris Evans, Johnny Storm? No. How could they possibly do that? And then I saw him, I'm like, damn, wow, he, good job. Yeah. He really can do it. And with stories saying that, you know, he is a goofball like Johnny Storm. It makes me really appreciate him as an actor when he's playing Captain America or when he's playing these serious roles. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, the other, only other person more excited to be in this movie, Michael Chiklis as Ben Grimm. Oh, yeah, he's so happy to be there. <laughs> yeah, I, he's, I remember he's, even if you were asking him today, he'd rave about like, oh, I've always loved The Thing. The Thing was always like a, a, a special character to me. Um, and in both of these movies... He's bringing hundred percent. Well, what I will say is his the prosthetics for him in this first one uh, have dated a little bit. They've definitely better in the sequel. Yeah, but I I'd agree with that. Yeah, he is great as Ben Grimm. Uh, it just it like a lot of this movie, it, some of his dialogue just suffers, and his plot points suffer from the yeah. errors made. Like when he first transforms, his wife. Immediately's out of there, and you're like, "I know, it's harsh, isn't it?" I know. Yeah. Well, like, at first it, she's out of that, there, that... and then she sees him again for the second time. Now on the bridge, she takes off the ring. 
yeah. <laughs> she's she's wasting no time whatsoever. I get what you're saying about the prosthetics, the costume, right? But there's, I think, because tonally, like what we're getting from this movie, I can go with it. Like I, yeah. I like the look. I, I like that they've not. It's. I mean, what was this? A 2005. Couple of years earlier, we got Ang Lee's The Hulk, and it was all CGI. I'm, I'm glad they yeah. didn't do that with this movie. We later got that with the Jamie Bell thing in the reboot. But I yeah. like that it kind of looks plastic. I like that the actor is able to emote. You see his eyes. He's got those yeah. big false teeth under the <laughs> under the costume. Yeah. I, I like everything about it. Like there's just there's a cheesiness to it. But I yeah, think it's just working proportions well. that they refined for the sequel yeah um but also then, the technology from then to now you would have even stronger prosthetics with more touches up you would with CGI in specific scenes the do like, that's in the reboot and they're just it's all like cgi is this massive larger than life rock monster I like yeah, this. that's probably how they do it yeah and i do I, I do appreciate this and it's the relationship cause... between johnny and ben like for me, it's, yeah. it, yes, we've got the love story between Reed and Sue. Will they, won't they? Yes, they will. They get married in the sequel. But for me, the heart of this film, it's Ben and Johnny and their relationship, their banter. And just the bit where like Johnny's like just looking at, at, at Ben and he's like, where are your ears? <laughs> like, you yeah. know, just, ah, oh, there's so much. There's just, yeah. Their relationship is is a thing that I enjoy whenever I watch this movie. And they do that montage in it's Johnny playing pranks on Ben. It's just yeah. it's it's so much fun. And it's the big bad in this film. We've got Julian McMahon as Victor Von Doom. Yeah. Doctor Doom. Balthazar from uh what is it? Uh Charmed. I will never yeah. unfortunately see him as oh. <laughs> I didn't see. He, I've never. I've seen bits of Charmed. I'm, I don't know it enough to know him from that. But he did. Yeah, do that, didn't he? He did. But he's a really talented actor. I've seen him. In, something about him. People often cast him as a villain. Maybe because he's a, an attractive man with dark, uh, dark hair and piercing eyes. But he's he, um, he's got that look about him, and he was in the Runaways as a bad guy. And it's yes, kind of and like, he did. you're right, he's got that good-looking guy quality, but at the same time, I think, yeah, I think it's maybe the dark features, but he's, he's really good at glaring. Yeah, he is. Like, not he's got looking... like an epic glare. Yeah, so it's like, it's not necessarily like angry, but he just glares, and like, there's a menace to it. I can yeah. see how you know, he's great casting for this, and when you get him in the costume as Doom, outside of him having powers, let's just leave that for a moment. Yeah. Visually, him as Doctor Doom looks like the comic. And in fact, not just him, the costumes of the Fantastic Four in this movie, I think are excellent. Yeah, yeah. They I really think... nailed the, the, the simple designs. It translated really well. Yeah, because this was, I mean, Spider-Man had done a really good job of translating with a, a few twists, but X-Men just went the leather out, like black leather, like yeah. we'll just do jumpsuits, um, which make them almost indistinguishable from each other. So the fact that they went all out for the costumes and it's, they still hold up to this day, 
um, with the quality of the designs. Yeah, the, yeah, it's a definitely. huge win. The huge win. Um, but yeah, he does he does a really good job. You know, I, it's a, it's a shame they tweaked they use it the ultimate comics fantastic for origin doom like even to the point of the metal the bio organic metal that's, that's right yep. right from the ultimate run because you know traditional fantastic for uh for comics he's an actual like dictator of a small european country latveria well uh, and the end of he's the other than tech he is his stuff's magic he learned magic uh, this is, it gets more and more ridiculous. He learned it from Morgan Le Fay, having developed a time travel device to go back in time and learn from Morgan Le Fay of King Arthur fame. <laughs> like, Comic and that's one of the reasons. You yeah. just go with it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and he enhances it with tech. Yeah, um, that's better. That's a better approach. He, he is, yeah. Um, so for an early 2000s, or mid 2000s movie like this i mean that is really a far out there and that's also a yeah. lot of backstory to build up that will take half your runtime it makes I sense it. that they would use ultimates and the sequel when we get galactus is a bit cloud in space which is yeah. how he was portrayed in the ultimate comics so that does make sense actually but yeah, yeah I, I prefer the original origin of dr doom this came out the same decade as the ultimate comics. So it makes sense that they would look to that as an influence. And I guess they wanted him to pose more of a threat to the fantastic four. Whereas I think yeah. the original source material, it would have been able to do that. But as you say, magic, they yeah. wanted to um, more science-based. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot, the, this why it's a lot more streamlined. It's, it is that it simple. Is, yeah. It's the same, you're same doing an, yeah, when you're doing an hour and 40-minute runtime, you need to knock this stuff out. It's a short movie, yeah. <laughs> so the guy is yeah. really concise. Uh, many comic book fans disliked the way Doctor Doom was portrayed, including Stan Lee. He agreed with them. But then they changed the origin to his character, so I can see how he would maybe agree with them. But the original origin is a better take on the character. I'd definitely stand by that. And Stan Lee... He has a cameo in this movie. Of course he does. Yep. It's only now since he's passed that Marvel Studios have basically come out and said there's going to be no more Stanley cameos. Because there was that recent Simpsons special on Disney Plus that tied in with Loki. The good, the yep. Bart, and the Loki. And the Simpsons guys went to Marvel and they wanted to include a Stanley cameo. And then it was revealed that they declined and made a point of saying that since he's passed, there's going to be no more Stanley cameos. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, of course you can't, can't because he's not there around to record them. But in animation though, they could have, you know, they could have yeah. had a Stanley cameo, but Marvel, yeah, they say moving forward, there's going to be no more cameos. And, and personally, I like that as a decision, but this is early Marvel, you know, way before the MCU. And he's actually playing the character from the comics. I think this may be yeah. the first and only time he's playing the mailman, Willie Lumpkin. Yeah. And he was the mailman at the Baxter building. So we'd had him in the comics previously, and Stan Lee is here playing him on screen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, anytime I see anything and Stan Lee pops up, it 
warms the cuckles of my heart. I, c- I can't lie. Um, it's yeah, he's Stanley's always phenomenal. Oh, definitely. Oh. Going all the way back to Mallrats in '95. Technically, yeah. Not less of a, oh, you know, it was a cameo. He played himself, but that was his yeah. first movie role in the Kevin. Smith. Yeah. Yeah, back in the day. And they did a callback um, to it in Captain Marvel. There you go. Yeah, yeah, where he's on the train, like, reading the script. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's practicing his lines for the Kevin Smith movie. Love it. <laughs> yeah, so good. Um, getting on for the sort of production side of this, um, the the CGI, for the most part, is not too bad. I mean, it's dated on Mr. Fantastic effects because... Skin's always been a hard thing it's, to do. It's a hard visual, isn't it? I mean, we're going to get an MCU Fantastic Four, and even with that reboot, I think, it's, yeah, you're right. It's always going to be difficult. Yeah, doing Mr. Fantastic. You're un- abnormally stretching something that we see every day, and even if you were to stretch a real person, it would still look weird to the eye. When you do it digitally, it's, it's double hard because you're like. I don't know how something like that would stretch. My brain can't quite pick that up, but I can pick that there's something off I don't like. Um, It looks a lot better on Johnny Storm. It looks, it still looks really good on Johnny Storm. Um, Oh, his powers look great. Like we just flame on. And and there's so much like things from the comics in this, like him yelling, like, you know, he jumps off as Johnny and he's free falling off the skyscraper. Uh, Last minute he yells flame on. And then he, oh, it's, it's cool. And then you've got the little action figure. It's clobbering time. And yeah. that, that's um, really cool. But with, yeah. um, with Reed, have you seen that deleted scene where Reed is trying to portray strength to Sue and he stretches himself to look like Hugh Jackman, Wolverine? Yeah, I have, yeah. It's, it's, you can watch it as... Po- as part of the movie on the extended cut or on the DVD or Blu-ray, you can check it out as a special feature. Yeah. That was like early days. So when this movie came out, Fox had had X-Men on screen for five years and they were obviously looking to kind of do something, connect things. They, they did another thing as well. Like Fox when so they made in 2003 daredevil. And then, when they did the Electra movie in 05, there's a deleted scene where Ben Affleck has a cameo as Matt Murdock and they chose not to include it in the movie. So it's kind of like they were trying and they were shooting things and for whatever reason decided against it and didn't put them in the movie. Yeah, and then uh, I wonder, because Kevin Feige did work on a lot of these movies uh, in a less powerful role than obviously he has it. Uh, um, Marvel now, but I do think these were other sorts of things he was coming up with at the time, and just coming up against that studio system of like, why would we spend the extra money of doing this? It's like, it will pay off eventually. Why would like, that little <laughs> young Kevin Feige kid? What does he know? Yeah. So by <laughs> the time he goes over the to Marvel uh, and Disney to pitch this, he's like, trust me on this. I watched them make the same mistake over and over and over again, whether it was Sony yeah. or Fox listen to me like just little like it's it's fan is it fan service yes but the fans appreciate it and will come back again and again and again for that fan service and you that's why it's fan service it. because fans yeah. like it 
I mean, going yeah. back to that first X-Men movie, and then, you know, Wolverine, like, he's wearing the black leather for the first time, and he's like, you actually go outside of these things? And Cyclops goes, what would you prefer? Yellow spandex? And yeah, and as comic fans, we're like, yes, we would. Yes. We would like the yellow spandex. But, you know, X-Men came out a year after The Matrix. It was all about black leather. It was yeah. the in thing. But with the effects, though, like this movie, it had nearly 900 special effect shots. It's a very FX every movie. But then it'd have to be. Like, you've got four different characters with four different power sets, but then five if you include Doctor Doom. Yeah. Um, and you're supposed to be set in New York, which they weren't filming in, of course. They're filming in uh, Vancouver, like every other place films in. Cheaper. So you've got to, yeah, so you've got to match that skyline to what New York is known to look like. And there's a lot of other things as well. Like the Sue Storm effects, I don't think you do much differently these days. Um, Cause how do you make someone turn invisible, but still make them on screen so you can see the actor it's you'd use this exact same effect. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of that sort of stuff for this movie. And, for the most part, they've dated f- were fine. What I did find on this rewatch, though, is as I said, it gets to the point of really quickly, and then you've got your third act, like supervillain battle uh, in the street with a lot of bystanders watching this very dangerous superhero thing, <laughs> and they're just watching that. I'm like, yeah. uh, you ever hear of like uh, innocent bystander? There's a, yeah. there's an army of you guys here watching. I mean, to but be honest, that's... though, in, to, in their defence. Man of Steel had not been made yet. So they didn't yeah. realize how dangerous it would be <laughs> to be yeah. a spectator at a super-powered battle. But, I mean, we yeah. talked about the runtime a couple of times. That final fight with Doctor Doom. And I've seen this film a lot of times now. And as recent as today, each time it always takes me off guard how quick it wraps up. Yes. How they just defeat him. They package him up. Is in that container unit, and as I said earlier, he sets off to Latveria. That's it. Yeah. It ends yeah. very, very quickly. And then you've got the Fantastic Four, you know, patting each other on the back, and then Johnny's in the air, flame on, big number four. Yeah. It was over. <laughs> yeah. And this is, a, this is the thing I noticed with this free watch. Um, they get to the point really quick at the start, the final of fight, wraps up really quick and between the two of those it kind of just meanders it's all the like character based stuff of like johnny and ben butting heads and that sort of stuff but i did find myself in the middle here going wow none of this is really relevant the big part that really stuck in my head the whole time victor's losing his company because of the accident but it's never established what the stakes of that are how much did it cost for him to go to space? Like for the, like, it's never. It's just, oh, banks, CEOs, and boards, and he's out. And you're like, yeah, but you haven't explained. You haven't given me any line of dialogue to explain that specifically, other than the stock price has dropped. You didn't but tell me how even, much it's dropped by. You didn't tell me what was the projected no. effect from him going into space it's in the very, first place. It's 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 very young. In, in that storytelling approach, isn't it? So essentially, yeah. so he, he's been told that although he's invested a lot of his own money in the company, 
and the board's trying to push him out. But for a young audience, they're basically saying that his way to retaliate and have him be successful in retaliating is just kill a member of the board. Yeah. That's not how it and works. I'm... Yeah. There's still the rest yeah. of the board. So, yeah, so yeah. it's... I don't know. I don't know what this movie would have been if it was a two-hour movie. It would never be longer than that. But an hour no. 40, there's, there's probably... I'd say on the page is a two-hour movie, and that's not what we Yeah, doing. yeah, um, which I can admit, I can understand. Like you said, 900 effect shots is a lot, um, and they were more expensive at the time than they are now. Like that's yeah. the nature of the business is something that the, the more they do something, the better they get at it, the quicker they can do it, the cheaper it becomes, like uh, any old thing. But yeah, it's, I just remember in the middle there, like I had time to think of such things of like, why is this board like what specifically has he done wrong with this his company that he's invested money in like i'm like yeah just give me a line i i mean i I know i've watched succession and i know i've watched all these other things that have explained like economics enough to me to wonder exactly like what's he done wrong why why are you wanting to take him out like i don't understand you haven't explained a younger audience (laughs) it came out in 2005 they clearly didn't feel as though they needed to talk about that it wasn't about profit, non-profit. It was all about getting the superpowers. And on that, actually, what I, you know, rewatching it again today, what I'd, I've always liked, so when the storm hits the space station, which from what you're saying would have been around, what, the 14-minute mark, but when yeah. it hits, we actually see what their superpowers are going to be. It shows reed stretching, Sue turning invisible, Johnny with flames coming out of him. So that was pretty cool, how they kind of showed it early on, how the powers would develop. And that gag as well. When you, you just see from Ben's perspective that Johnny is looking over him and Johnny's freaking out saying, oh, like, he's, you know, like it's so, and we're thinking, oh, well, he's clearly already turned into the thing. And then yeah. Ben finally sees his reflection. Oh, look like me. Yeah. So that was interesting. Just... That was a different spin on, on the origin. And then it was after that that he, he became the rock monster. And yeah. then just with a lot, I, I mean, talking pros here, I did like how Doom was manipulating the situation. And he's got that thing with the thing. Like, I'm sure Reed is doing everything he can to help you. I mean, what possible benefit would he have to not helping you? And then the next time Ben sees Reed, he's just been on a date with Sue. And then the team starts turning on each other. Turns out that Doom does have a way of reversing what had happened to Ben. And then he sacrifices like his own future of living a normal life to go and help his team. So there is some pros to talk about when, when discussing this movie. Yeah. But on the whole, it does fall short quite a bit. The music was by John Ottman. Like he later went on to compose Superman the, Returns. Yes, yeah, Superman Returns score, which was yeah, pretty much Star Trek as well, if I believe. Did he Star John? Trek movie? I'm not sure because I know um, Michael Giacchino. He did a lot of the JJ or the JJ movies. Yeah, but John oh, maybe, Ottman. No, his maybe name, his name has 
has popped up. But he does the score here. Now, as you probably say at this point, even though we got the far superior Batman Begins in 2005, for this movie, I was all in. Went to watch it on the big screen, enjoyed it. Not only did I go out and buy the score, I also went out and bought the album. You know, so I had <laughs> both CDs to put out for this movie, and we haven't talked about it yet. the The soundtrack, or the, yeah, the soundtrack, the music in this movie, is still fun. It's still good. Like there's a there's a good some forty one track in there, and I remember yeah. like when this soundtrack first came out, I just listened to it on repeat. So I yeah. do like the music from this film, but at the same time, though, like music often does not so much like the the score but when they put songs in movies it can often date them and although i will still stand by this album and you get most of the songs in the film it's very much mid-2000s yeah um and that's the, that's the funny thing what viewing back on it now like we have great nostalgia for that music but yeah it does really anchor at home to this is in the mid-2000s you know the whole um demons of dirt sequence with johnny on the bike also hits that hole this is mid-2000s yeah. this was a thing at the time you know you've <laughs> snowboarding just, um, you just really thrown me there just hearing you say nostalgia for mid-2000s yeah. i feel yeah. like it just happened <laughs> yeah same here you are talking about nostalgia for 2005 <laughs> wow <laughs> don't i feel old right now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it really does feel of the time. You know, it's always a, it's, it's a weird feeling, isn't it? Because when like so this moment right now, you just think, oh, I, there's not really a look and sound for this year. And I, yeah. I remember thinking that in the '90s, like you know, the '90s is just now. It, it's got nothing distinctive. It's not like the '80s and the '70s that came before it. Yeah. And you look back on the 90s now, and it's all baggy shirts and waistcoats. It definitely, like, you know... Yeah, suit jackets that had, like, shoulder it. pads. Yeah, if you want to look, like, almost like a time capsule, if you want to look at fashion in the 90s, just watch an episode of Friends. That's the yeah. 90s right there. It's so dated, it's unbelievable. But yeah, the, the music in this, again, still really enjoy it. But like I say, that's nostalgia for 2005. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, but, you know, it, it, it does work. And at the time, it's not as much a consideration anymore. But there was a big thing of like, oh, you have to get good bands and good music for your soundtracks because the soundtrack sales, obviously, replaced by digital services like Spotify these days. But at the time, yeah. like album sales are a good revenue stream oh, for a movie it, like this. It was massive. I mean, even going back to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Uh, they had, yeah, had Chad Kroger. Hero. Yeah, Chad Kroger from Nickelback. Yeah. <laughs> he did the big <laughs> song. But they yeah. always had that. I mean, Daredevil, yeah. Daredevil. had two tracks by Evanescence. Yep. It, it, was yeah, the, it, was a... it was the big thing, wasn't it? But then, yeah. but you know what? I, I'll mention it for the last time. Batman Begins. No songs, yeah. only a score. Hans Zimmer, 
and James Newton Howard. Yeah. And I remember reading, that's a movie we need to review. And I, I'll, I'll say it now. I love that film. Same. Same. <laughs> but it will be good to have a, a full episode talking about them again. But I remember like reading interviews with them. They were saying they had a very distinctive approach that one of them would compose Bruce Wayne and the other would compose Batman. Yeah. Dual identities. Genius. I love it. But, you know, this movie's got John Ottman. He does a good job. There's some you know, good themes in here. And then we get all the music from the soundtrack as well. Yeah, it's... I mean, he, he's really talented. I mean, he's done multiple films that we've, as we discussed, on his back catalogue. Um, and he does give a theme. Uh, maybe not as... It doesn't stand out as iconic as the Avengers theme or the Superman theme or things of that nature. Because he only got two movies to play around with it. Um, but it does have a, a proper theme. It is something yeah. that you could have put a franchise on uh, if they had continued to make these. But, you know, they gave up. Um, but in terms of its rating and its enjoyability, um, it has dated. It is, there is some cringy dialogue and bits and pieces that, you know, put it right smack bang in 2005. And as we discussed the goofiness of like the, of that time and just these characters in general. Um, but, you know, probably about a three out of five. So it's not, it's not terrible. There is fun to be had, but not something I would put my name down and say, I recommend you check this out. It's just kind of there. Like it's a time capsule. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd also come in at a three out of five. And for me, I always say three and above is a recommend. I would recommend this movie. It's, it's, it is fun. And again, a lot of that comes down to Ben and Johnny. I like how the powers are portrayed in the movie. The visuals hold up. Again, the costumes are fantastic, whether it's the Fantastic Four, Doctor Doom. It's a fun comic book movie. And and I honestly do believe it, it would have been a lot more successful if not for Batman Begins, like which it, Batman Begins kind of just reset everything. So, yeah, it really stole the wind out of its sails before it had a chance. It really did. Whereas, and then, you know, as soon as Batman Begins hit, that's all people wanted. Yet up until that movie, this is kind of what people wanted. They wanted like a, a, a colorful adaption of the comics and Tim's yeah. story. We, he delivered with this, but unfortunately what people wanted changed. Like if this move, even like a year earlier, even you huge. know, it, it'd have been, it'd have been different, but the movie is what it is. I like it. I, I do like it. And for the most part, I enjoy that sequel. You know, it, it's got a lot of good elements, but it comes down to the Fantastic Four, like the actors, that like they they really do, do make the film. But yeah, there you yeah. go. Three out of five. Well, that's it for our episode all about Fantastic Four. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. 
You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon. <laughs>